Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, your home for fly fishing in the backcountry. This is episode 49 with Nick Del Vecchio on Great Lakes Steelhead Fishing. Are you are you drinking anything? Diet Snapple. Oh, I thought you were going to join me for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's guide season. These early days are killers. I've got to I've got to run a tight ship otherwise the uh the 5:30 a.m. client tomorrow morning uh, doesn't get the doesn't get the full nick if I have a couple in the evening. So we gotta we gotta keep it on the straight and narrow until Fourth of July. So are you booked up basically every day, weekends and weekdays? Yeah, like I think you know, like I have Mother's Day off, you know, by choice, um, right. and then it's like. 21 straight days and then I took Memorial Day off by choice and then I have Father's Day off by choice and then I have Fourth of July off by choice so it's pretty much if someone calls now I just don't have anywhere to put them I mean we're talking July and then I'm like well yeah we can go unless it's 100 degrees and we haven't had rain for a month and then the trout are dead so (laughs) you know I guess we can book it if you want but yeah it's pretty much it's seven days a week and you know it was probably four or five days a week through April, but May we really hit our stride and that's whenever it goes full bore for two and a half months. And is this like all day? Like, are you doing half day trips, two half days a day or one full day or is it like, what's your setup? This is the first year that I've um, had to do two half days, you know, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, just because of the demand, you know, I mean, we, we ran out of dates so fast that we started having to, have people come in the afternoon and some people prefer that, which is, which is cool. Cause you know, you can get a little bit different perspective of the streams, maybe hit a afternoon evening hatch, you know, especially around here, our biggest hatch is the Granum caddis, um, which kind of comes off all through the day and into the evening. So the half days in the afternoon are kind of nice, you know, cause you get that little bit different perspective, but it's either a full day or I'll do one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and then just hope it doesn't rain because we don't have any, <laughs> we don't have anywhere to put people if we do have rain. 
Do you think the increase in numbers is just like you're finally kind of hitting your stride and people are getting to know you as a guide or is it pandemic related? But like, why are some people showing up? Well, the angling pressure is certainly pandemic related. Um, Wednesdays are the new Saturdays uh, for sure. There, there, there is so much angling pressure out there just in the last year or so, which is great, you know, to see everyone out there enjoying the out, out of doors and, you know, getting into fly fishing. But, you know, really what turned it for us was we developed a stronger presence on Google, um, you know, figured out some Google ad stuff and figured out a way to get in front of the people that were looking for the type of services that we offer. And then whenever those people found us, you know, they found our prices to be competitive and we provide all the gear on trips, you know, and we, we put a lot of care and thought into making sure that everyone has a quality trip, you know, no matter if it's the one person half day that just wants to learn or the three person full day that books five days in a row and wants to put up numbers, you know, it's, you know, we kind of try to make each trip unique to those people, um, you know, and I'm sure some of it too, is just being one year older, you know, right. than last year as a business, um, you know, building up our client list a little bit, but we have a strong group that fishes with us every year. And, you know, it's so neat where we are because we can fish for trout here locally in Northwest PA. Then we can go out to central PA and fish some of the storied trout streams there. And then we can go to PA and fish for steelhead in the winter. And then we can go to Ohio and steelhead fish in the spring. So it's just, there's so much to do. And it's all so different that someone could book four, five, six, seven, you know, 10 different trips with us. And we would literally do something different on different waters every single time. Right. Yeah. That, that area is just so varied in what you can do. I mean, uh, I, I guess maybe we should say this is your second time on, um, so you can go ahead and plug your name, Wildwood, again. Uh, but I did. I had a tidbit for you. Um, since interviewing you the last time, I've had two other people with uh, companies na- named Wildwood on. So I really? think I've got three. So this will be four episodes out of about 50 or about something named Wildwood, which <laughs> I thought was just kind of funny. Yeah, to, uh, to go back in time, um, I would have put probably a a bit more thought into our name because as it so happens, there's a Wildwood Outfitters in Georgia um, that runs canoe and kayak trips on, you know, some sort of river. So every now and then I'll get a, uh, I'll get a phone call where someone says, Hey, you know, Wildwood Outfitters, we'd like to book a guided kayak trip down the Chattahoochee this weekend. And it's like, ah, well, I might not be able to help you out there. You know, if you, if you'd like to come fish for steelhead, you know, in Erie, PA, we got you covered. But the kayak trip, um, you know, in North Georgia, yeah, we might we might not be of much use there. You know what you got to do is get a remote employee down in Georgia who just does kayak tours. And so when someone does call you up and they're obviously looking for the other company, you can be like, oh, yeah, let me just hook you up with Bill. He'll get you out. <laughs> yeah, that would, um, <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd save quite a bit on uh, lost advertising revenue from people that click on us and say, hey, wait a minute now. We're, we're going to be in north of Atlanta this weekend, Wildwood Outfitters. Um, so, yeah, having a Wildwood Outfitters South location uh, might not be the worst idea in the world. My similar recent experience is that I uh, wrote a blog post to, you know, maybe a year or more ago about the benefits of fiberglass mounts over traditional taxidermy. And since then, I've been getting messages asking uh, if people can send me their photos and measurements so I can make them a, a mount. And I'm like, I don't think you understood the point of, the, the point yeah. of this blog well, post. Well, hey, maybe, uh, 
maybe you've worked yourself into a new side gig there. I know. I mean, I've gotten several orders so far <laughs> that I had yeah. to turn down. <laughs> well, send us send us over your price sheet. And we'll see. Uh, you know, that might be an added service for Wildwood. Say, hey, you know, we have uh, an affiliation with Katie uh, who can reproduce this beautiful fish you caught on your trip nearly free of charge. So there you go. We've already got it figured out. Oh man, people would be getting some ugly fish back from me. I'm not even sure what I'd make them out of. <laughs> well, cool. So what have, what have you guys been fishing for lately? Are you like solidly in a trout season now? I know we're going to talk about steelhead and I, I want to talk about seasons for steelhead too, but it, are you kind of into a trout at this point? Yeah. Yeah. We've been in, we've been in trout mode here for the last few weeks. You know, our, our calendar sort of turns from steelhead to trout usually the first or second week of April, um, you know, with a couple of days of overlap, which is always a fun time whenever you're on the Ohio trips one day and then guiding for, you know, native brookies the next day. And then back to, you know, that, that juxtaposition, I guess, of those fishes and waterways and strategies is really kind of neat, but yeah, this time of year, it's all trout all the time. And we'll run that through, summer as long as we can two summers ago that meant literally all year you know it was a cool wet summer and those trout hung around and they were you know safe you know we always try to be mindful of stream temps um you know just like most other uh anglers that are into conservation and catch and release practices and trying to keep the populations intact um you know, sometimes we get some really dry, really hot Julys, and that shuts things down in an, in a hurry. Uh, those water temperatures push up above 70, 75 even. So we'll guide from here into the summer as long as Mother Nature lets us. Do you guys have any streams there that shut down in the summer because of temperatures, or are they open and you're just kind of self-policing? Well, it's self-policing. Okay. Um, they're... <laughs> That the Pennsylvania Fish Commission is never going to tell you to not go. Um, so that's just kind of a self-policing measure, you know, because this is a long-term play for us. And especially in streams where there's some wild trout present, we care a great deal about those fish being safe, being happy in there and continuing to make more wild trout for us to go after. So you know, for us as a business, it's not worth the extra half dozen, you know, 10, 12, whatever trips to really put that undue stress on the ecosystem, you know, to be blunt about it. You know, the ecosystem of those streams relies a great deal on, especially in our area, the wild browns. You know, we do have some brookies, but most of our wild fish are browns, um, you know, so to make sure they're happy and safe through summer, is important and it's why we're checking water temps from about the second week of june until we don't have to worry about water temps anymore or until the water temps tell us let's head for head for somewhere else so are you just uh com combating that in the summertime by going to a place that's not as hot like you know d does everywhere shut down and then what do you guys do so we're on the western what we call the western fringe of the best trout fishing in pennsylvania you know we're kind of Coming off the Allegheny Mountains there and the Appalachian Mountains as a whole. Um, so we combat that a little bit and we extend our season by heading further east into the mountains, going into some of those tiny little mountain streams in the Appalachians, north central, central PA, the spring creeks there. 
you know, that helps you hedge your bets a little bit. And it's not perfect, you know, really by the second week of August, sometimes the first week of August, August, things are pretty tight. You know, things are pretty tough. It's a, that's a tough, tough time of year for those trout. Um, But we can extend our season a bit by just traveling further into the mountains where those streams are cooler, or maybe they're more spring fed, not as much farmland, a little more shade, a little more remote, you know, those that, that helps us extend our season through July typically. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so going back to uh, steelhead, uh, maybe we should break the ice here and just bring up the elephant in the room with, with steelhead. Uh, why don't you just rattle off your thoughts to me about Great Lakes steelhead and, and whether they're a myth? <laughs> well, you, you said let's break the ice, and I immediately had a shiver down my spine thinking back to those extremely hospitable Great Lakes days of January and February um, on the Lake Erie tribs there. Um, so very very appropriate. Uh, I was, I was definitely it. going for it. Yeah. <laughs> whenever you, whenever you serve me up a softball like that, I mean, I gotta, I gotta pounce. Um, so yeah, I mean the, we do most of our trips and most of our fishing on the streams going into Lake Erie. You know, there's obviously a steelhead fishery throughout the great lakes as a whole, you know, all of the great lakes, you know, have something going on, but we, we stick to, um, kind of the Cleveland to the PA New York line a little bit Um, fish those two areas for steelhead, which (laughs) gives you more steelhead water than you could explore in a hundred lifetimes. I mean, there, every, every piece of stream that goes into Lake Erie can at one time have steelhead in it. You know, there are obviously the more famous ones, uh, the ones that get the smolt stockings in the spring, um, but those steelhead, they're just an amazing creature. You know, their their ability to power through waterfalls, beaver dams, make it past the hordes of walleye that are out to get them, the anglers, the you know, the firing squad of anglers ready to see how many they can get for the smoker. I mean, it's just, it's incredible as a migration, um, you know, different than the West Coast steelhead, where you look at some of those West Coast steelhead and you say, holy smokes, this steelhead went 1,000 miles. You know, that in and of itself is impressive. But for our fish, it's usually the human elements that they persevere through that makes you say, that's unbelievable. Because the fact of the matter is our streams are near all these population centers. You know, we're talking less than two hours from Cleveland, Buffalo, Pittsburgh. You know, not terribly far from New York City. We get a lot of folks from New York City that come over, some folks from Chicago, Detroit. So, you know, we're at like this epicenter of the Great Lakes steelhead game and around so darn many people. But no matter what, I mean, those fish, they make that run and they're there. And boy, they are just a ton of fun to tangle with. The alligator in a phone booth, as we call them. <laughs> so what do you say to somebody who says that they're not real steelhead? Uh I say that's okay. You know, I keep a little salt shaker in my pack that every now and then I'll give a little sprinkle in the stream to say, there you go. You know, now those now those fish have some salt going through their gills. But, you know, we get that sometimes from folks that say, well, I was out west and, you know, those are real steelhead. And then I say, oh, yeah, how many did you catch? And it's like, well, you know, the other boat hooked one in three days. And I'm like, oh, okay. Sounds well, fun. <laughs> yeah, so just, just hang tight with me here today. Let's Let's do this half day. Let's do this full day. And then, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what you think. In fact, earlier this spring, I, I moving forward, maybe I'll just tell them this little anecdote. I was on a 
what was supposed to be a one-person full-day trip over in Ohio for Steelhead, and the guy quit at 10.30 in the morning because he said, I don't know that my arm can handle anymore. Um, so, good problem to have. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. And it wasn't from swinging flies. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was it was from the hookups and the battles. So, you know, they, they may not be true steelhead by the purest of definition, but you tangle with a couple of those and uh, they've they've got they've got that fight in them. What do you think it it is about this subject that really gets people riled up? Because like, for example, I've seen the the one I see all the time is when people call golden rainbow trout or or palomino trout golden trout, thinking it's the same thing that lives uh you know out in the Sierras. And that one bothers me because they're actually they're actually talking about two different like completely unrelated, well not completely unrelated, but you know they're not the same fish. Um, whereas this is more of a semantics thing of like which one hits salt water, but it is the same fish. You know, I mean, they're both basically giant rainbow trout. Uh, one hits salt and one doesn't. Uh, so like where, where does that, you know, rage pop up from? Do you think in, in people who get really riled up about it? Um, you know, that's a good question. And, and kind of to your point that they're the same um, and not to go off on too much, too much of a tangent here, but you know, in the world of COVID, you know, everything's kind of messed up, including uh, steelhead stocking. And Ohio in particular typically gets their eggs and their smolt from Michigan. Well, that didn't happen because, you know, long story short, egg collections didn't happen in Michigan because of COVID and all kind of stuff. So Ohio this year stocked uh, a strain from California. <laughs> you know, they got the fish from California. So now we are literally talking the same fish uh, with the difference being one's going to go into Lake Erie, one's going to go into the into the ocean. Um, and you know, maybe that, maybe that just answers, <laughs> you That's know, the it. Difference. They, just, they just want it to be something that is not. Yeah. You know, uh, I think part of it is our fisheries are really unique. Um, because you, you see those West coast steelheaders and they're in boats, you know, they're in these temperate rainforests and they're swinging flies and, you know, it's just, it's, it's really a romantic site, you know, right, I mean, right. those, those, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> maybe aside from the articles that I've written about it a few in a few spots, but you know, there's not a whole lot of people clamoring to hang up the picture of some guy running a indicator rig under a bridge in downtown Erie with graffiti on the background. You know, that, that just, is exactly what I think of when I think of that, magazine covers and yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's just a different scene. You know, ours is very urban. Um, you know, I mean, there's people around the crowds are intense, 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 intense. I mean, like, like nothing, like nothing that many people ever experience, um, the crowds for steelhead, um, and the streams are small, you know, which is really what makes our fisheries so unique is we're talking about usually sight fishing for steelhead, which would just be such a totally foreign concept 99% of the time for West coast steelheaders where they're like, well, this run or this pool looks promising. Let's swing flies through here for five hours. And there could maybe not even be a fish there just because it looks good. Doesn't mean there's a fish there. So I think at its core, the way we tackle going after steelhead, the techniques, the strategies, the water, the flies, you know, it just, everything about it's different. Um, And I think both are cool. You know, for as cool as our fish are, you see some 40 inchers that come out of Washington State or British Columbia. And it's like, holy smokes, you know, that's uh, 
yeah, sign me up for that, you know, for sure. So they're, they're both cool. I think most of the animosity comes from the West Coast guys towards us. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's almost yeah. 100% that direction. Yeah, because yeah, I think a lot of Great Lakes steelheaders look at them out there and say, wow, you know, that's cool. That's something we'd like to do. Um, where the West Coast guys, you know, flourish the pinky a little bit uh, and look down on us from from up atop their perch a bit. See, I don't. I just don't understand the like, and I and I get what you're saying. Like they they kind of look down on it. And I could see that perspective. You know, it seems like a more pure. You know, like you said, the image of a guy out there swinging flies for days on end, waiting for that one tug, is a romantic notion. Um, so I can kind of see looking down on the like kind of urban area and just thinking that's not as good. But like, I just don't understand the rage about the semantics of calling it a steelhead or not. Um, it's to me it reminds me of like we've got brook trout here in Colorado up in the high streams that might only be a couple inches long those are a far cry from the uh you know 20 inch brook trout you might catch up in a lake in Canada that are just fat footballs like they don't even appear to be the same fish but they are you know and yeah. uh, I get that the Great Lakes still don't touch salt but in my mind it's just two versions of the same thing you know it's it's one's a saltwater yeah. steelhead and, no. and one's not and to their credit they by true definition, you know, they are just migratory rainbows. Um, but that's a mouthful, you know, we're right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, you know, we're, we are just splitting hairs a bit. Um, you know, and what's, what's so neat about it is, you know, regardless of what anyone wants to think about them, it's so darn cool that these great lake States got together and created this fishery out of nothing, you know, because, they aren't native to the Great Lakes. You know, they're they're obviously a West Coast fish, but they have taken hold so well in the Great Lakes. And it has produced this industry that generates billions of dollars. I mean, if we talk all the Great Lakes states and hotels and gas and airfare, people coming here, guide trips, fly shops, you know, restaurants, whatever. I mean, it is just, it is so neat that they have just created this and it has flourished and we have the opportunity to go after these giant, we'll just call, we'll call them migratory rainbows, you know, so no one, uh, no one gets too upset. But, you know, I mean, we have these giant migratory fish that come into the streams for these brief periods of time and give us this window of opportunity to catch 24 to 30 inch, you know, 10 pound, 12 pound fish, you know, on a fly rod. And that it's so fleeting because they're here, then they're gone. But, you know, for that to have not only uh, occurred, the initial stocking programs, but then taken hold now to the point where it's just, you know, we're on the main stage in the steelhead game, you know, whether whether or not, you know, some people like it, you know, when you talk steelhead, the Great Lakes comes up, you know, the Great Lakes comes up because our fishing is so strong and those fish have done so well. And it just provides so many angling opportunities. It's just, it's so, we're, we're very lucky to have it, you know, because without, without that program, you know, in the fall and winter, we're still fishing for trout, you know, which is fine, but it gives people so many more angling opportunities because right. of that. Well, and like you said, I feel like people go out West really wanting that fish of a lifetime and they, if they don't have enough time to devote to it, they might come back with nothing at all. Whereas, uh, you know, I've, I've gone steelhead fishing once and it was, uh, on a tributary of Lake Erie and I caught a steelhead my first time out. Uh, and it was, like you said, it was a small river, super crowded. Um, and I could see the fish before I hooked it. 
which is a fun experience in itself. And if I only had, if I had a week to go steelhead fish, I would probably go to the Pacific Northwest um, and get the the full experience. But if I had a day or two to go, uh, I'd be more inclined to say I'll go to the Great Lakes because I might actually have a chance at at least hooking up with something. Yeah, and I think you know even furthering that a lot of our trips are beginners you know we not only have a lot of anglers that fish with us that have never steelhead fish before but they've never fly fish before um so six in the morning they've never held a fly rod Seven thirty in the morning they've landed a couple steelhead you know that that's really cool you know yeah, that, yeah. We're, that, that we're able to put people on those fish and the fishery and the setting is such that they have a chance to learn the basics of fly fishing and then put it to use on a two foot fish that fast is, I mean, that's awesome. You know, I wish my first fish on a fly rod was a two footer. Um, you know, that's just, it's really cool to be able to experience that with people and then talk to them about how special those fish are and how cool it is that their first fish, um, you know, is on a, as a steelhead on a fly rod, maybe on four or five X tippet, you know, that it's a, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know. I, I feel like you might be ruining those people though, by uh, getting them on too big a fish I, too fast. <laughs> I try to warn them that if we go steelhead first, we're setting the bar awful high. Uh, and then if we, if we sort of go backwards and go to trout next spring or summer that, you know, my disclaimer is <laughs> it's going to be quite the trout. If we get one bigger, than the steelhead you're catching today. Oh, I mean, if I could catch a trout that was larger than the steelhead I caught, I would probably opt for that trout, honestly. I feel like that would be a better... Ex- like, if I caught a, a rainbow, brown, or brook, or, or cutthroat, I guess really any of them, larger than the steelhead I caught, I'd be... I'd choose that over the steelhead, I think. <laughs> yeah, I probably... <laughs> I probably would, too. Uh, I'll let you I'll let you know whenever I see very many <laughs> trout that fit into that category. But, yeah, I probably would, too. So, what... uh what are like the basic things that someone should know if they're thinking about coming to uh, Northwestern Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York area, wanting to chase steelhead? Like what are some of the basics, like maybe the seasons uh, that they run and maybe we can get into some of the basic gear after that. One of the hardest things for any steelheader, um, you know, but especially beginners is to grasp the concept that the fish are either there or they aren't. Um, And while that sounds super obvious, you know, we're talking about a migratory fish. Um, you might have the best steelhead spot in the world, you know, just the perfect deep channel coming in and empties into a deep pool with a little bit of structure and just everything you'd want in a spot, but it could be totally devoid of fish. Um, so you kind of got to switch your mindset, especially when you come from trout fishing first, where when you're reading water and you say, well, that looks like it could hold a couple of trout. Well, and more often than not, a couple of trout are holding there. Maybe you don't have a shot at them, um, but you know they're there. With steelhead, they they can just not be there. Um, so a lot of people come steelhead fish, specifically in Pennsylvania, where our streams are even smaller than Ohio or New York, um, and as such, they usually run low and clear. And just to backtrack a touch, the timeline we're talking about. You know, you'll start to hear the first reports of steelhead coming in Pennsylvania, usually September-ish, but the run really doesn't get going until we get those big fall rains. Um, So by late October, early November, it's a little more consistent. And then by Thanksgiving, it's going big time. 
And then the peak of the run usually happens sometime in between Thanksgiving and New Year's, weather depending. Depends depends how much we get rain versus snow. You know, there's weather factors at play there. But that's usually about our peak. And then those fish will hang out through the winter um, under the ice if they have to. And then start to go back to the lake in late February, early March. And by early April, it's pretty much done. So this is just one long season that starts in like kind of early fall and goes till mid spring. Yeah. And, okay. it, and, but with that in mind, you know, at the first sign of someone on Facebook saying they're in, they're in, they're in, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's worth it to go. You might have a couple uh, trickling in. Just There's a couple trickling okay. in. They'll come in at night actually. Um, and then sometimes go back out to the lake during the day when the sun gets up nice and high. So you'll have reports of guys catching them at the stream mouths or in the lower stretches of the tributaries first thing in the morning. And then they'll rush to the internet to say the run is on, it's on, it's on, it's on. And then it's not, you know, it's not that just to give you an indication, this is quite literally my livelihood. Um, And we won't, we won't book steelhead trips before mid November. Um, And the reason being is because until about that point, it's just too hard to predict how many fish are going to be in the drainages and how far upstream they're going to be. So the further they go up the drainage, the more guys spread out. You know, so those early season trips, whenever you hear of someone in October catching steelhead, they are, you know, they're in. But if the majority of that run is in the lower mile or two of a stream, well, that's where all the guys are. I mean, it it's it's a really uncomfortable situation because there's more guys than fish um you know so that can be a little that can be a little tricky but yeah season wise you know you can pretty much count on you know if you don't care how many guys you know if you don't if you just say when are they in the streams we're talking late september until probably early april for pa ohio is a little different Ohio typically stocks a different strain of fish that is much more spring running. Um, Now they'll get some strays from PA that wander their way over there. So they'll have some fish in the streams in the fall and winter, but they're much more of a spring run. You know, their run will start February, early March and run all through March, pretty much most of April, again, weather depending. Um, But it's, it's a much shorter peak run, but whenever it's going, it's going, you know, it is, it is, (laughs) it is incredible over there. If you hit it just right, the downside is it just doesn't last as long. You know, you can fish for steelhead in Pennsylvania for six, (laughs) half the year, you know, but Ohio shorter, but much more intense if you hit it right. I'm going to ask a uh, very stupid question probably that's going to show my ignorance on steelhead. Um, and maybe, maybe you'll know the answer, but I feel like I've heard of steelhead in like two separate runs. Is that something that happens on the West coast? That's not the same for the great lakes, like uh, winter run and summer run, or is that just on two ends of the same kind of large window? And there happen to be like different peaks. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I can't speak much for the terminology or why the designations like that out West. Um, is that, am I crazy? Like, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I've definitely heard that too. Or even if they call it like a class A, class B run, you know, I think that might have to do with the size of fish. Um, don't quote me on that. I mean, 
I guess I'm being recorded, so it is kind of a quote. Everyone's quoting. <laughs> yeah, I just said it directly, so it doesn't get any more quote than that. But uh, I don't know about But you've heard that. the same thing, right? Like you've yeah, heard yeah. reference to two different runs. Okay, For sure. I, I'll have to talk to a West Coast steelheader and, and find that yeah. out. Someone a little more versed on the biology of those fish. But for ours, it just depends on the strain of fish. So, you know, not to dive too deep into the biology, but the, the Ohio strain that they typically use in an on-COVID year um, comes from Michigan, and that strain is more of a spring run. Uh, the Pennsylvania strain that they have created, they call it the Heinz 57 blend. So it's it's from a few different strains of steelhead, one of which being the summer run steelhead, I think you pronounce it Scamania. Um, so that's why, because it has a little summer run steelhead in it, that's why our fish come in in the fall, whereas the Ohio fish don't really start coming in till spring. So in terms of when our fish come in and how you call it fall run, winter run, spring run, that just points back to whatever strain of steelhead they are and when they're instinctively supposed to be running in the streams. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, side tangent here, um, what is the motivation behind people uh, hopping online trying to be the first one to declare their fish in the water? Because I feel like, in my mind... If I find fish in the water and I think that they're running, I don't want anyone else to know about it. I don't know. The 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 tail end and the beginning of the season are just so bizarre, you know, because we, we pulled the plug on um, steelhead trips, you know, the first or second week of April, just because, you know, the run was past its peak and starting to slow down, which means every day you're out, it's just getting worse because more of the fish are going back to the lake. Right. There aren't any more fish coming in. Um you know, but it's really bizarre because there's also, you know, there's the there's the race to see who can catch one first. I don't know if it's just to prove that everyone online that says, no, it's too early to go up there and steelhead fish is wrong. Um, weird flex, if that's. Yeah, that's how I, that's how um, I, I saw them first. Like, yeah. And now it's like everyone's out to say, well, they're still catching them. And it's like, all right, you know fine maybe there's yeah maybe there's a guy out there who wants to be the first and the last person to catch a steelhead in pennsylvania yeah. every year <laughs> i don't know i mean it's 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 something it's something the, well the, you know facebook brings out the best of people so i know i that's what i've heard <laughs> yeah it's i just yeah, i just so. can't imagine being like oh you know here here comes my favorite time of year because you know whatever whatever's happening like out, i mean out here we're not really dealing with runs apart from um like the kokanee run but um you know, the, the rainbows will start to move a little bit when it's spawning time, but I just can't imagine seeing rainbows coming up into some of the rivers and rushing to the internet to tell them, hey, come hit this spot that I want to yeah. hit. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it seems a bit counter counterproductive um, for your own personal angling opportunities, but, you know, you trout for the clout. You know, you got to do it. You got to do it for the likes, so... What are you going to do? I guess someone's yeah, got to be first. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, well, okay. So, are there um, any regulated seasons? I know we went over the seasons of when they run. Are there dates that you are allowed to target steelhead? And how, if so, how does that correspond? Or is it is it open season? It's open season, um, but just the the biology of the fish kind of regulates it a little bit because they're just physically not there, uh, you know, for so much of the year for the okay. summer months. Um, so as you know, soon as you not... see them, you can target them. Yep. Yep. Okay. As soon as you see them, you can target them. There's not a, in Pennsylvania, um, you know, and Ohio to the best of my knowledge, we don't 
guide every water in Ohio, but I'm, I'm pretty darn sure of this. There's no such thing as, you know, delayed harvest or catch and release areas, um, with the only exception being there are two little nursery streams in Pennsylvania that you cannot fish at all. And the Fish Commission uses those areas to gather the steelhead, collect them up so they can take the sperm, take the eggs for the hatcheries. Um, so there's no fishing at all in those nursery waters. Um, but regulation-wise on, on people fishing the rest of the tributaries, there's nothing nothing to suggest this time of year or slot limits you know, for steelhead, nothing like that. Um, you can keep probably... You know, if you ask me, I'm no fish biologist, but you can keep a few too many than you should be able to, uh, you know, but you can keep fish. Legally. You can keep them. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're into portion, whatever, you know, from the EPA and how many fish you should or shouldn't eat from bodies of water. Um, yeah. You know, if you're into having a third arm grow out of, you know, your <laughs> back or, you know, something like that. Uh, yeah, that you can, you can harvest them. Um, <laughs> you can harvest them. Yeah, that's true. I, I know that Lake Erie has been cleaned up a lot over the years, but, uh, when the bar starts that low, even clean from, from where it used to be is not necessarily maybe food grade standard. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's pretty wild. I, yeah, I'm not, we're obviously all catch and release. So I'm not super versed on the dietary sure. restrictions by waterway. Um, but I think it's something crazy, like eight ounces of Lake Erie fish per month is the Ooh, recommended. Yeah. That, that's, and you know, a, an average steelhead for Pennsylvania is going to run maybe four five, six pounds. Um, you know, so if you decide you're going to throw one of those puppies on the smoker and then yeah, invite a whole all, family over. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, there's your two year allotment of Lake Erie fish. <laughs> See, here's the problem I have with those scales is I see, we have those for Colorado too. And it's like some things are, you know, eat as much as you want. I feel like I see uh, like brook trout from the mountains here. Like you could eat as many as you want and you're fine. Um, but then there's some fish that it says like one a month. And I'm like, well, if it's already that low, I don't really want it ever, yeah. you know? <laughs> if, if there's any restriction at all, I probably don't need to be eating it, you know? If eight it's once a week or lower, I can, I can handle it. Yeah. And how did they determine the eight ounces? You know, did... Did they determine that 10 ounces would eventually lead to increased risks of who knows what, you know, it's like how, what, you know, What's if the they negative? have, yeah, if they, if they have to set the mark anywhere, I'm good on it. I just, yeah, yeah. that's kind of how I feel. I just, I just don't want it. Also like what are the repercussions if you don't follow that, you know, what, yeah. what, what is it that you're looking at? You just die. <laughs> just, I had two eight ounce portions in a month. Yep. One bite too many. It was eight and a half ounces. Just drops dead. <laughs> Just immediately, it's like cyanide. Yeah. Hey, we'd have more. We'd have more steelhead in the streams. Uh, I'll tell you that. <laughs> not, not that I'm advocating for that, but uh, you know that that there would be more fish around. So, how how many steelhead can a person reasonably expect to catch in a day if they go out and and do a decent job at fishing? That's such a good question, and it's one that we get asked a lot, you know, people, people want to know what to expect going into a guide trip. Um, and with steelhead, it is, it is so hard to predict because unless it's someone that's a repeat guest and we know their angling skill level, there's a lot of unknowns. Um, you know, you just based on the way we fish and the size of the streams, 
feel pretty confident that we're going to get you casting, drifting, the right flies, you know, those whole nine yards. But fighting the fish is so darn tricky that, you know, we have trips where folks will hook 15 or 20 fish in a day, but maybe land three or four. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, but then you'll have someone else that hooks 10 and lands nine. Um, so, so much of it is on the angler. Um, because once we hook one, it's kind of pandemonium, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm there saying rod tip left, right way up high, let him go, let him go, let him go hand off the reel, hand off the reel, reel it hard, 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 let him go. You know, it's just, there's so much going on so quick because those fish are just shot out of a cannon, you know, they're just hanging out there and then you hook them. And in the first 10 seconds, that fish has done three cartwheels downstream and then ran a hundred yards upstream. So for especially new anglers, that can be a lot. There's a lot, a lot going on. And we're talking one second of your hand on the spool or holding the line while that fish is making a run and the whole thing's just over. You know, the whole thing's just over. It's that fast because our streams typically run super low and clear, super low and clear. They run off so fast. Um, so we have to use light line. Okay, you know, that was going to be my next question, actually, yeah. is why are you using, I think you said like 5X tippet on these steelhead instead of something a yeah. little thicker. 5X is to be, is really the tippet of last resort. Um, <laughs> you know, that's... Is 4X that's, preferred? Yeah, 4X, okay. you know, I mean, we won't run 5X unless we absolutely have to. And if we have an angler that has experience fishing 5X, um, you know, just because at some point it probably becomes a little unethical to be hooking fish online that you can't reasonably land right, them on. Right, play them for an hour and drag yeah. them in. So... 4X is really the sweet spot for tippet, but that's not that heavy of tippet for 24 to 30 inch fish. Right. Uh, you know, those are big, those are big, big fish that are used to swimming in Lake Erie. And now we've put them in a stream 20 feet across. Uh, so how many to catch? It's just, there's so many factors that also go into it with weather, you know, because weather is just everything for steelhead because those fish will come into the stream and continue to move upstream after rain events. So when it rains and those streams blow out, then those fish make their move. Well, when that water starts to recede, then it's like a big game of musical chairs. Wherever those fish are at, when that water starts to crest and come back down the other side, they'll kind of hang out there for a little bit. Now, there's obviously still some migration that goes on at night and stuff like that. But for the most part, that's where they are until the next rain. So if you just have these prolonged stretches without rain and the streams are low and clear, it's tough. It's tough sledding. You know, those fish, they get pounded on seven days a week, seven days a week by hundreds, thousands of anglers. Um, so they get they get wise to our game um, a little bit. And then once you hook one, they're not easy to land. So that's why a lot of steelhead anglers give you two numbers, how many they hooked and how many they landed. Uh, you know, because there are so many that you hook that just beat you, you know, I go out on my own and there's some that just beat me, <laughs> you know, this, it's an animal that is used to having the whole of Lake Erie at its disposal. And now I've put it in a hole the size of my truck. So maybe yeah. a better question is how many can you reasonably expect to hook in a day? Cause I feel like most people, most reasonable people, I would say if they go out on a guided trip and hook 30 fish and land two a reasonable person would say, maybe I'm the problem here, you know, yeah. uh, you know, and, if, and would have fun even hooking that many fish. If we do, if we do a dozen or so hookups on a half day trip, you know, we call that a nice little morning. 
Okay. Um, that's, that's whatever our, what whatever our conversion rate was, was on that doesn't, you know, depends on the things we already talked about. Um, but, you know, we've never had a day of steelhead guided trip where someone didn't put one in the net. Oh, really? Never had a day where someone didn't. Now, <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you that every now and then that didn't mean that I'm pushing a half day trip an extra hour, you know, to really try to really try to get someone one in the net. Um, but every one of our guide trips has been successful in putting a fish in the net. So that that's maybe a better barometer. Oh, yeah. that That's like way better than I thought. I thought that it wouldn't be that uncommon to get skunked. No, but I, truly, I'll hang with people until we get one. <laughs> you know. I'm okay. Not, yeah. Well, at this point, you've got a street going. You kind of have to. I mean, you're going to be yeah, there I'm all not, night one time. <laughs> I don't. I don't take too kindly to the steelhead beating us. Um, so we'll we'll pound them into submission. You know, after a while. But you know, a really typical trip for beginners, especially because that's what so many of our trips are: are either beginning fly fishers or beginning steelhead anglers. Um, we're talking for a half day trip. You put two, three, four in the net. Um, you know, you've had a nice little morning because that's probably 75 inches of fish, you know? So that's, you've had a nice little morning. And now obviously on full day trips that you can call it double, you know, maybe it doubles a little bit. Um, but what's so fun about steelhead is it's just this giant gamble with the weather, with the weather and the crowds. And if you just have one of those days where the stars align, and in fishing, we you have those, whether you're going for bluegill, whether you're going for muskie, whether you're going for steelhead, whatever. If you have a day where the stars align, I mean, you can put just some extraordinary beatdowns on fish that just, I mean, it will immediately catapults to the best day of fishing you've ever had in your life. You know, we had, I had a couple from Kentucky this spring in Ohio, and in two days we put 55 fish in the net. Oh my God. That's way yeah. more than I thought. Yeah. Uh, it was special. You know, it was special. I I'd love to hop on every media platform I can and say, this is our average, uh, you know, so book your date for 2022 soon. Um, you know, it was just nothing short of a beat down, but it was just like the stars aligned, the fish cooperated. They really picked up on the techniques and, you know, we're on it right away. We ran into more bald eagles than guys. <laughs> in our two days of fishing, you know, it was just like one of those things where just everything lined up Yeah, and you know, whenever you have one of those days with trout, you remember it. And it's like, wow, that was really cool. Whenever you have one of those days with steelhead, you say this could have potentially just ruined me for life. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to that, that issue of if someone catches their first fish and it's 24 inch fish, how are they going to be happy with uh, catching a brook trout after that? Even though for somebody else, a brook trout is a, a trophy, by the way, even by the way it looks. Um, and I'm not sure is, if I would have as much fun uh, afterward if I caught 55. I mean, you know, I know it was over two days and with two people, but still, I feel like I feel like if I go out for steelhead, I kind of want to catch about three to five on my first trip out because then I think I I would get the, like the bug and really want to come back and try to like get more than that the next time. I'm not yeah. sure if I'd want like 20. <laughs> I actually think there is a sweet spot, you know, where you catch enough. So that it whets your appetite and you're like, this is really cool, but I still like hiking up to that mountain stream and catching five inch brookies. Right. You know, there, there's a limit. And I, I'll tell you, it happens to me as a guide where it takes me a minute after steelhead season 
to really get fired up about 10 inch trout just because I'm in that mode where if we catch an 18 inch, 20 inch steelhead, I'm like, Oh, that's just a little one. You know, we'll get a picture of the next one. And now all of a sudden, you know, it takes me a second to recalibrate and bring that, bring that fired upness for trout because I've just been staring at the steelhead for the last six months, you know, and my brain's just in the mode where anything less than 24 you know, we'll get a picture of the next one. You know, I've gotten mad at myself about something similar to that before where, uh, actually it happened up in Wyoming, uh, where we're going again in, uh, actually like two or three days. Uh, but the fish are big enough up there and plentiful enough up there that, uh, last time we were up there, uh, on day three or four, I remember looking down in my net and I I had like a 18 or 19 inch rainbow in there and thinking like, uh, just a tiny one. And I'm like, this is like the bigger than the biggest thing I catch in Colorado, like most years. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you get, you get spoiled so fast. You I know, know it's it's, just, you adapt very quickly. Yeah, it. <laughs> you know, we we do see that on trips too, where it's like all of a sudden I have someone downstream waving me off that they don't need the net, and it's like, hold up, you know, that's like a 21 inch fish, and two hours ago you'd never held a fly rod, you know, but it's like if we've caught a couple already and they're really nice fish, all of a sudden you're like, nah, you know, I'll get it. I'll I don't just need shake, a picture. Yeah. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll just shake it free. And it's like, man, you know, <laughs> it's funny how fast to all of us, you know, that happens, happens to all of us. <laughs> you know, you get a couple nice fish in the net and all of a sudden, all of the ones that on other days would be the best fish of the day are just like, man. Luckily it resets pretty quickly. Like if, if I'm catching 20 inch trout one weekend and I take the week off and go the next weekend and I'm catching tiny brook trout. Like I, you know, I, I reset during that week and I'm, I'm no longer hung up on the size, but if it's in like the same trip, I, I start to look down on the smaller, large fish because they're not as large as the large, large fish. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you, steelhead have a way of humbling you uh, about that too. So um, the 55 fish in two days thing, is certainly not the norm. There are days where you are just grinding your tail off and those fish just aren't eating. You know, it's just really, really, really hard. We like to think that on our guide trips, those days are few and far between, um, but they do happen every now and then. And it's funny because the fish that we're just, you know, wiggling our rod tip to get them off the fly on other days, on the tough days, I'm like, please God, just all we need is like this 18, 20 inch steelhead to eat once and I will wait in over my waders to get it in the net, you know, just Just so you can (laughs) make sure. Yeah. Let's get one in the net here, you know, so steelhead have a funny way of bringing you back down to earth. If you, if you get a little too big for your waders um, after those beat down days, as far as the stars aligning, what are you looking for in terms of weather? Like if you could, I know it's a little, maybe a little hard to judge because it goes from the whole way from fall to spring. So there's a wide variation in there, I'm sure. But during the peak season, what are, what are you hoping for weather wise in order to get the, the best run and what really shuts them down? Me personally, I want to see 45 mile an hour winds coming right off the lake, blasting snow, shut down the interstates coming in and out of Erie. I mean, just brutal miserable conditions the worst that it can possibly be the better is that for uh, crowds or the fish the feeding crowds. or both yep for the and i know that sounds that my version of what our perfect day of steelheading is and a lot of our guests might not exactly line up um you know because admittedly that scenario i just described probably isn't the most enjoyable um 
day to be standing out on the water. Um, but I just want the weather to be nasty to push the crowds down. Um, that's a big part of why we don't run trips up there in October is because everybody can go fish when it's 65 and sunny and the leaves haven't changed color yet. And, you know, all the fair weather folks are still out. Bring on the worst weather that Lake Erie can produce. Uh, and that's the day I want to be out there for the fish, though, um, you know, because they can be tricky on those crazy barometric pressure jump days and cold fronts and whatever else. Um, the fish really like after the rain, when the streams are still holding quite a bit of flow, but you've crested and you're coming back down the other side. You know, they really, really like that. When that stream is on the rise. So if you're fishing through the rain in a given day, that turns them off. That turns them off because, you know, they have a brain the size of a pea. Um, whenever they feel that happening, they kind of switch into migration mode and less feed mode. So when they feel those streams starting to come up and that water starting to rise from the rain, that's whenever they're moving upstream. That's whenever they're on the move and they're infinitely harder to catch when they're in migration mode rather than hold and feed mode. Is that so an once- instinct thing? Like they're like, I've got enough water in the stream right now to make some forward progress or do you know why? I think so. You know, I think it's just because those rain events and those high water events in Pennsylvania specifically are so fleeting that it's like one that when that happens, they have to take advantage. You know, they just have to take advantage because it might be seven, 10 days until they have another high water event where they can move further upstream. So whenever they do feel that coming on, they haul, they haul upstream and they're hard to catch. But then once they feel that water crest and start to come back down the other side, then they start to think in terms of, all right, well, I better start hunkering down here, finding a nice little holding spot, you know, where I'll be happy and safe. And once they start to settle in after they've moved in on a run, um, that's, that's when it's on fire. You know, if you can hit that falling water level before it flatlines, you know, cause our streams, they run off in a hurry, they blow out in a hurry and then they run off in a hurry. Um, so it's really tough to catch that backside of the water coming down but if you can catch it that's pretty tremendous because the water has a little bit of clarity issues you know so the fish can't see you it's just you know that's really when we got our stars aligning you know in the perfect world of stream conditions lesser guys maybe and fish that want to feed do your techniques change at all between a rising river and a falling river or is it just you're using the same thing, but it's just harder to, to do when the, the river's going up? That's probably, you know, the latter is probably more so the case. Rig-wise, technique-wise, we're really simple. You know, I've written a few articles in a couple places about how blue-collar our, our steelhead fishing is. Um, you know, and in Ohio and New York, the streams are big enough that some guys can swing some flies if they want to. Um, but every one of our trips every day from the start of the season to the end of the season runs nymph rigs runs nymph rigs under an indicator under an indicator you know we're running two nymphs you know for trout some of our nymph rigs will have three flies but three flies for steelhead um can just be a bit much you know we we don't we don't want to have more out there than we need because on the fight of the fish it can get a little hectic netting the fish can get hectic or you'll just foul hook them by accident because they're huge um, you know, so three flies can be a bit much, but 
almost every one of our rigs were thrown under an indicator two nymphs. We got some split shot over top that, um, you know, and it's really kind of just put on your hard hat and go to work salt of the earth type of fishing. Uh, the secret technique for steelhead is find them, <laughs> you know, really it's, it's find them because we get so many trips of people that say I went up and fished on my own. And all I did was walk up and down Elk Creek, up and down Walnut Creek, up and down 20 mile Creek. Some of the big names in PA, I walked up and down all day and didn't see a fish. I didn't see a fish because the stream's 20 feet wide and clear and they're two feet. So I know I didn't see a fish and that that's the name of the game is you got to find them. And that's really where the guide trip, you know, not to, not to plug here. Um, but that's really where the guide trip comes into play because we are on the water every single day. You know, we're really in tune to where those fish are going. The streams change from year to year with high water and ice jams that break apart, you know, and all sorts of things, holes change, you know, from year to year. So finding those new spots, finding where those fish are holding is so darn critical because that's the best technique that you can find um, is just knowing where the fish are. If you can find the fish and they're in a spot that's conducive to get to, it's just a matter of time. You know, you don't need some secret sauce fly, some secret rig. You know, it's just repetition. If you find the fish and just beat them down, they're going to eat. You know, they're going to eat. You just have to find what they're after that day. Um, you know, and there probably are some rigging techniques that we do that are, you know, a little more of a competitive advantage to the typical angler up there. Um, but finding them is just so critical, you know, and once you do that, you'll figure out the flies eventually, you know, you'll figure all that stuff out and run into them. And I'm sure that you being on the water every day, you can kind of almost pattern them. Like if you see them in one place one day, they, they're either going to be there or a little bit farther up the next day, I assume. That's like, you know, you can kind of keep track on a, on a macro scale of where they, where they kind of are sitting in the, in the system. Certainly. Um, you know, we have, we have several spots that we call our barometer holes, actually, because we will go there weekly after a trip. You know, if we ever have a random day off, we will go to those spots periodically and just go look and see and say, okay, that barometer hole one on November 15th, there was 10 fish. Well, then two weeks later, there was 50 fish. Well, three weeks later, there was five fish. So we can track where the bulk of the run is going to be just based on trying to keep tabs on a couple holes on different streams at different parts of the stream to see where are most of those fish at right now. If it rained a lot in between the last time we checked a hole, well, how many are there now? Does that mean that more came in and are now there in that stretch? Or did most of those fish move upstream and are they out of here? And uh, regarding flies, I know you mentioned uh, these are pretty much all nymph rigs, but uh, how, do, how does this compare to setting up a nymph rig for trout? Uh, I guess in, in fly selection is what I mean. Uh, are we talking the same nymphs, but in larger sizes or completely different nymphs? Or like what, what's, what are you throwing in the end? Usually with steelhead, it's eggs, eggs, and then some more eggs. And then if you have any more eggs, throw those on too. Um, that's what catches you most your fish. But we throw some crayfish imitations. We throw some stone flies. The only real bug life that can be relied upon in those streams up there, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty devoid 
of strong insect activity. Um, but there's some caddis, some caddis and some midges. So we're actually throwing some flies that are pretty darn small. Um, you know, it's, it's not out of the question to be running, you know, a size 18, 20 rainbow warrior, um, copper ribbed RS2, you know, some of the stuff that we would be throwing for trout in the same sizes, just because in terms of matching the hatch that's what's for there. whatever okay. bug life is there, um, that's kind of what you got to do now. Where that changes just a bit are those really early season trips when the fresh fish are fresh in from the lake. You can throw some streamers. Um, you can imitate some of the forage fish that are out in the lake. Lake Erie Emerald Shiners specifically are probably the most common, the most popular. Um, so you can get a little bit of streamer action if you get those hot fish that are right in from the lake because that's what they're eating out in the lake. Once they get into the stream, once they're in the stream for an elongated period of time, they don't have <laughs> schools of bait fish, you know, to snack on. So that's whenever you go a little more to the nymph rigs. And just based on the timing of our trips, that's why we're all nymph rigs. Now, you might say through that whole thing, I never mentioned what produces the eggs. Um, instinctively, the steelhead come in in the fall because they're going to try to be eating salmon eggs because the salmon would be spawning before the steelhead. Well, this is like a deep-seated instinct, not something yes. that is actually relevant for the area they're in now. Correct. It's it's kind of bizarre because we're matching the hatch in terms of what the fish want to be eating, but not what's actually available to them. Oh, or New York, excuse me. New York is a little different where they actually do have salmon runs. Uh, Pennsylvania and Ohio do not. They've tried at numerous times to have pink salmon you know, cohos, other kinds of salmon take hold and it's just never worked. It's just never worked. So Pennsylvania and Ohio don't have any salmon, but the steelhead want to be eating salmon eggs. So that's why we're throwing so many egg patterns, single eggs, sucker spawn, that sort of thing. Or, you know, if you're, if it's your thing, uh, beads are all the rage. They've found their way here back East. Um, so, you know, whatever you're using to imitate those eggs, um, you know, those fish really key on those big time because not because they're there, um, but because that's what they should be eating. The only exception to that is in the spring, whenever the suckers run in from Lake Erie and then start to spawn. And there actually are some eggs in the uh -huh. stream for the fish to eat. I wonder how long it would take for that to breed out of their instinct. Like, I wonder if this is so, you know, ingrained that it, it wouldn't come out or, you know, because they're, if they're not eating real eggs there, then you'd think, well, eventually they would adapt and, and learn a new feeding strategy. But I wonder if, you know, the number of, this is me going out on a limb here, but the number of crowds of people that are throwing eggs, they probably, they're probably under the impression that there are eggs coming down because they probably see thousands of egg flies coming down every day. And in their mind, they're like, oh, these are, these are all real, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the, the Great Lakes version of our shadow cast. It's yeah, yeah. You're every, like chumming the water with flies. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody throw an orange sucker spawn on this day, and we're just going to make those fish think that there are just piles of orange eggs everywhere. Make an egg uh, hatch. <laughs> you know, if, if our fish had a stronger natural reproduction rate, I'm sure that would be something that would happen. Um, but I think the issue is our natural reproduction is bad. It's bad, bad. They're all just stocked, basically. You know, I've seen some estimates out there that maybe on the high end, maybe 10% of the PA steelhead are wild fish. Um, 
wild being wild being they've been like how long have they been there they're just wild wild meaning just that in the springtime whenever the steelhead spawn because they the steelhead will try to spawn you know in spring but they just it just doesn't it doesn't work very well so most of our fish come from smolt stockings the fish commission stocks fish when they're maybe four five six inches in the streams then they'll run out into lake erie for a few years before they come back in in terms of a wild fish returning so those fish that came in to spawn were successful and you know that fish made it to maturity we don't have a lot of gravel habitat conducive for spawning um and the i want to be careful how i word it here um the agencies that could do something about that choose to just encourage folks to get out there and go fish um so the gravel that we do have is just crushed by anglers you know i mean there are certain spots where you can see fish actively on reds and guys just walk right through it or guys are standing in the middle of reds to fish other reds um so there's there's very there's no there's nothing from a management or conservation level to protect the few spawning areas that we do have and they are few so whenever you don't have very much spawning habitat to begin with and the little that you do is then just trampled to death by anglers it's just not a good it's not a good equation to have a lot of wild fish around okay so wild in this case is just meaning uh was born in the river even if even if that parent steelhead was uh stocked stocked yeah, fish they, okay. they the parent in in our scenario here the parents would have been stocked fish that successfully reproduced so the yearling the you know fry would be a stream bred fish okay so there's probably a lot of staggering generations of like this fish is wild but its parent and it's you know its parent might have been stocked and then it might not ever reproduce again like there's there's random generations of wild fish within these populations okay it we're not talking about 10 percent of the fish being wild and then spawning within that 10 percent and then those 10 percent of the fish that have spawned their offspring coming back to be it's not like a lineage. Yeah, right. It's not <laughs> okay. it's not a lineage. That's a <clears throat> staggered is probably a good way to put it, where most of the wild fish, their parents are both stocked just by a miracle that their spawning efforts worked and the fish made it to maturity. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, is there what if what have I not asked that I should? Oh, I guess I, let's uh, cover quickly on like rods and gear. Like, what what weight rods are you using? Uh, I assume this is just like a typical floating line if you're just running indicator nymph rigs. But walk me through uh, kind of your typical gear setup. Yeah, typical. You know, we are running floating lines. Um, our go-to bread and butter rod reel setup is a ten foot seven weight. Um, on the PA streams, our fish are a little smaller than both New York and Ohio. So in Pennsylvania, you can probably get away with a nine and a half foot six weight. Um, But what we find is so often your technique is just high stick nymphing. So having that little bit extra reach with the rod helps you, helps you reach out there a little more, hold a little more line off the water, get a little bit more of a drag free drift. Um, So we're talking 10 foot seven weight. And the critical aspect of the entire gear setup is having a reel that won't freeze. 
You know, if okay, you're gonna, yeah, that makes sense. if you're if you're going to spend money on one part of the entire steelhead setup, do it on the reel. Do it on the reel because nothing, nothing is more heartbreaking than freezing your tail off all day long, really trying to find that winter steelhead, hooking it. It makes one run and your rod tip just bows straight down and the line snaps because your reel is just a ball of ice. You know, spend some money, get a nice reel that's not going to freeze. Be diligent about that. You know, check that reel every now and then make sure, you know, the line hasn't frozen in there. Um, But and then also with those not to go on a little gear gear shtick here, um, but those nicer reels also allow you to set the drag a little better. And the drag is critically important to make sure that is set appropriately for those fish too loose. And they'll just spool you with one run downstream too tight. And 10 seconds into the fight, we'll be retying, trying to break down what just happened. Okay. So maybe the reel plays a bit, a bit more of an important role than what someone who's only fished for trout might be used to. Yeah. If you're a trout fisherman in Pennsylvania, by and large, your reel just holds the line. I mean, yeah, it it's just, the same here for a lot of it. it yeah, it is just it is just a place to hold the line in a circle, um, you know, but with steelhead, so darn important, so darn important. You can land steelhead on any number of rods. You know, you don't need to go out and buy, you know, the new whatever for a thousand bucks. You know, you can make do with a lot of rods if they're in the right size range. Like I said, nine and a half foot, six weight, 10 foot, seven weight, probably about perfect. But make sure your reel is ready to go. Okay. Well, uh, I know you have to get going soon, but um, I just wanted to end with how, like, is there anything that I should have asked that I didn't because I wouldn't know to ask it? Like Uh, something that if someone had only fished for trout and they came out there that they might just be caught off guard by. I think the biggest change for people are the crowds. Um, You know, and I know we've kind of mentioned them halfway tongue in cheek up to this point. Um, But on a serious note, it is a real thing. I mean, there are intense, intense crowds, especially on weekends, especially when the weather's nice uh, of people trying to fish for these fish. Um, So we try to do this on guide trips, but I try to do it when I'm fishing on my own too. just be courteous to each other. You know, I mean, you hear stories of fist fights and, you know, just, Really, it almost feels silly to bring it, you know, to say it out loud that you're fist fighting over a fish. But I mean, it's just some really nasty stuff goes on up there because people just aren't decent to each other. Um, You know, just be ready that if you go in knowing fishing etiquette, that most everyone else around you is not going to know it. Uh, And maybe they do know it and they're ignoring it, but maybe it's they don't know it, you know, and they're not intentionally trying to high hole you um you know they just saw you fishing there and thought 10 yards upstream of you was a good spot for them to go is there Uh, such thing as high holing when the crowds are that bad like i kind of just picture everybody just standing there shoulder to shoulder and they're not being well you know place to go most of the spots that you know there are sections of the stream where it is like that you know where it looks more like those (laughs) rivers in alaska you know where they're just standing shoulder to shoulder, but there's a large section of the streams that is more, you got to walk a little bit, you know, you're going to park, you're going to walk a quarter mile, half a mile, but those ones even get crowded. 
And the reason why the crowds are a thing is because so much of the streams just do not hold fish. You know, those fish are in spots A, B, C, and D on a quarter mile of water. And there are zero fish not in spots A, B, C, and D. I see. So it's like everyone has to kind of cluster. Like if, like if you, uh, what are those toys where you have the uh, magnet that goes across and it picks up the iron? Oh, like an Etch-A-Sketch. And it's like those fish holes are holding people like little flakes of iron to the magnet where they have to go right there. There's no point in going anywhere else. They certainly are. And now, you know, there are exceptions to that, of course, where there's riffle sections that'll hold a few, Um, you know, but if you're talking the really productive holes, there are going to be other guys around you. Um, So I always just tell people go in knowing we're going to fish around other people today. And if it becomes a problem, we are going to err on the side of etiquette. We will just reel in. We'll wish them good luck and we'll go find somewhere else to fish. Um, you know, because it's not worth making your day uncomfortable confronting someone about something that they either one know they're doing and don't care or two, maybe they just legitimately don't know. So you confronting them in an angry manner to something that they don't even know they're doing, you know, it's just going to elicit a defensive response. You know, and it's steelhead fishing can probably be some sort of experiment in the human psyche and sociology, you know, because it's just, I mean, it, it you really just kind of have to go in knowing we're going to be nice to other anglers, even if they're not nice to us. And for the love of God, please don't litter, you know, just please, please, please don't litter. So much of the eerie tribs are open at the courtesy of the landowner. And every, every, every single year, new stretches of river get posted because of how many people are up there fishing and leaving junk. You know, if I was a landowner up there, I don't blame them one bit for posting it because people just toss their junk everywhere. You know, so I'd tell folks, bring a little plastic bag with you. Any other junk you see, just pick it up, throw it in there, even if it's not yours, you know, just because we'd like to fish there again. (laughs) We'd like to fish there again sometime. And I know that's a very common conservation type shtick, you know, pack it in, pack it out, you know, leave no trace. We're not talking buzzwords here. We're talking real sections of streams get posted every year because landowners have enough of the crowds just dumping trash everywhere. It's such an easy thing not to do. Like, it's so easy not to throw your stuff on the ground. (laughs) Possibly the easiest thing to not do ever. Right. (laughs) That's how I feel. It's like, I've seen seen people throw things out their car window. I'm like, it would be easier for you to throw it on the floor of your car than it was to roll down your window and get it out there with enough force it didn't blow back in. Like, you took the harder route in throwing that out your car window. Here's Here's this Slim Jim packet that I could just put in my waiter pocket that's at arm level. But you know what? I'd rather just leave it on the ground. You know, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt for small things like that because I've had that happen to me where a wrapper gets blown out of something like a pocket, uh, you know, and I don't realize it until it's 50 yards downstream and lands on the water. Like I've had that happen and I'm sure a lot of it's, it is it is intentional, but I like to try to err on the side of giving people the benefit of the doubt for like small wrappers because I'm just like, I've definitely been there, but I don't understand yeah. like the bottles oh. and things like that. Who, who knew you were such the Slim Jim enthusiast? <laughs> well, that is that is what I uh, usually use to describe myself. Well, that's that's very high, Brad. I think you I think you fit in just fine on our 
on our blue collar, you know, salt of the earth, put on your hard hat and go to work streams up here, you know, armed with slim gyms. Um, yeah, you could, you could definitely do some damage getting some landowner permission. If you roll up to their house with pockets full of slim gyms, that's a, that's a good first step. It's a good look. <laughs> yeah. You, that's what you should have asked me actually was how to get landowner permission. And then I could have just deferred to you and said, bring your slim gyms. Then you're good. What else do I need? Do I need like a can of skull or uh, how else do I fit in on these rivers? <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe some, uh, you know, six pack of yingling would probably, probably be good. Um, yeah. Maybe, well, skull's pretty high end. I don't know. Maybe longhorn or grizzly, whatever the, whatever the cheaper brand is. You don't want those landowners thinking that you're, you know, think you're better than cheaper. they are. <laughs> yeah. 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 You gotta, you gotta keep, you gotta be a man, man or woman of the people here. You can't, be flaunting your wealth by cans of skull you know yeah especially if you already have a fly rod then then adding something else highbrow is just gonna put you way over the top yeah if you run into some rural erie pa landowner and you have skull they'll tell you to head on back down 79 south to pittsburgh (laughs) all right well uh to wrap up um nick i know you already mentioned uh wildwood once but go ahead and plug plug all your stuff again where can people find you where can people reach out if they want to take a trip sounds like probably next year if they're if they're looking to take one but yeah uh, regardless yeah, we, we book up pretty darn quick you know in fact we have folks booking up for december already right now uh which feels like we were just <laughs> we were just there in december but we're already looking ahead um you can find us online our website is wildwoodoutfitterspa.com we got tons of info on there about our trips pricing what to expect on your trip, what we provide, the whole nine yards, and also some contact info on there if you want a more specific look at what your day on the water with us would look like. Instagram, we've got a lot of steelhead pictures on there to scroll through on a warm summer day and make you long for the days of fall, winter, and spring ahead, and that's at Wildwood Outfitters PA. Um, Including right now, we're actually doing our catch of the week. Uh, Catch of the week through trout season here so if you like some trout content too you'll get a little bit of that um if you scroll back further then we got our steelhead steelhead pictures but we try to keep that pretty up to date with what's going on on our trips and some of the cooler catches of the week and so for mother's day i assume you're going to have to post a picture of your wife and and call her the catch of the week as your uh as your tribute well hopefully this doesn't air before then or my cover's blown you know so uh, it won't. It'll be the the Thursday after Mother's Day, so you're good. Yeah. Well, that, I, in that <laughs> case, I was actually planning on doing that, but uh, <laughs> yes, yes, that will certainly be the. And then we'll have to look ahead to Christmas, and then try to get you know a fly in a stocking, you know, with our son on there. You know, just we're, we'll pander, pander for the likes for sure. Of course. Well, that that's really what it's all about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is for sure. All right. Well, on that note, I can let you get going, but uh, thanks for coming back for uh, uh, round two of this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, Don't forget to head over to the website, fishuntamed.com for all episodes and show notes. And also please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. That'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone. And also, if you have not yet, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review. That's very helpful for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Other than that, thank you guys again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody.